Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF. And as always, I am joined by PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the great Nathan Yonke. Nate, how's it going? Going well. Happy to be getting to the end of June and we can finally get to July where training camps will start to happen and we'll get ever so closer to the preseason and ever closer to actual football games happening. Yeah, it's exciting. We're we're what less than less than ten weeks now. I guess it was ten weeks yesterday. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, we're getting close. I mean that that leaves us a a pretty decent chunk of time still. But at least there's going to be some exciting stuff, um, hopefully, to happen within that these these next ten weeks or so, um, including the preseason training camp and and all of that fun stuff. And that that that's kind of what we're we're focusing on today as well right we're, we're taking a look at some of the the updated adp risers and fallers over the past past month or so um, i know we did this last time um, it was a fun episode it was our first episode uh, just about over a month ago i guess now so we covered some of the kind of bigger risers and fallers post nfl draft um, so now that the the dust has settled a little bit, we we get to kind of jump back in and potentially see if some of that rookie hype has died down and see market reactions to the other goings on across the league and and evaluate where we're at before the preseason activities really kick off. So looking forward to this one for sure, um, as we got a few interesting names on the list to talk about today. Uh, but before we we kick things off for this episode. I do want to mention that this episode is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Fabric by Gerber Life. As a parent, your top priority is always your children's well-being. You want to give them everything they need to grow and thrive both now and in the future. With term life insurance from Fabric by Gerber Life, help protect your family so their future is secure no matter what happens. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a surprisingly affordable life term life term term life insurance policy quickly often in less than 10 minutes life insurance can have a bad rap for being complicated but fabric makes it easy to apply with its seamless digital experience it's all online and on your own time and if you need the extra support you can access a team of licensed agents who can answer questions along the way take steps to help protect your family today with fabric by gerber life take the 60 second quiz to find out if term life insurance is right for you and apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com pff that's meetfabric.com pff m-e-e-t fabric.com pff Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company and distributed by Gerber Life Agency, LLC, using fabric technologies not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For more information, visit us at meetfabric.com slash PFF. All right, let's get things started with one of the bigger pieces of off-season news, a topic that we've touched on a few times already on the podcast prior to this one, um, and, and that is the release of Dalvin Cook from the Minnesota Vikings. We, we've touched on the Vikings running backs a bit and potential landing spots for Cook, but now we we kind of get a chance to see the market's reaction to the situation and how that has affected his ADP and, and those related to him. Uh, and, and I don't mean his brother James necessarily, but just those that the shockwaves of his relief release have touched essentially so dalvin cook released on june 10th so let's start with those he left behind in minnesota 
the obvious winner from this has been Alexander Madison, who has risen from RB26 to RB19, sitting there near the end of the fifth round on underdog. Nate, how are you feeling about Madison as the RB19? Is this good, bad, just right for his potential this season as the Vikings' new lead back? Um, it's feeling good at this point, and I think he could rise even higher. I was initially concerned that Minnesota could add a veteran running back, but that hasn't been a priority to this point. So I think the longer we wait for them to potentially sign a veteran, the more it seems like them adding a veteran would be more um, a problem for the backup running backs more so than Madison. But I think we're probably undervaluing Madison's situation a little bit at this point. Um over the past three years, uh, plenty of his great stats are if you look at him per start, but uh, he was still one of the best running backs at avoiding tackles over the past three years, um, avoids basically one every four carries, which is fourth best among running backs over the past three years. But then if you look at his per start stats, um, fourth best in PPR points at 20, uh, top 10 in a bunch of rushing categories, uh, rushing yards per start, rushing yards after contact per start, uh, runs avoiding losses, runs of 15 plus yards, both of those in the top five. And not only that, but he does well in some of the receiving stats as well. Um, part of that's due to catching a couple of touchdowns in his starts, but uh, third most receiving fantasy points per start over the past three years. I have him just up to RB18, but there's a chance that could go even a little bit higher just because you expect him to see so much volume in Minnesota. And he's been basically an average to an above average running back so far. So when you have a quality player seeing that much opportunities, that's exactly what you want to see for fantasy. Nice. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and, and you look at the competition around him as well. It's it's not substantial. It's not like the Dalvin Cook versus Alexander Madison, like you laid out. Alexander, Alexander Madison has been very good, very efficient with his touches. We don't really know what some of these other guys are. And, and, and speaking of which, you know, Ty Chandler, who who is the other riser um, next to Madison, he was, you know, a guy drafted in the fifth round last year out of North Carolina. We didn't see him much as a rookie. He, he played in week, week 18 and carried the ball six times for 20 yards um but he's up 19 picks so basically going from rb65 to rb60 um coming out of college this is a guy that earned an 89.4 career rushing grade but he ran a 43840 he appears to be the favorite for now to be rb2 on the vikings depth chart any interest in in ty chandler at all as a, as a handcuff or for any other reason uh in minnesota um, I definitely moved him up my rankings after Dalvin Cook was cut, but I'm not all that high on him. I probably wouldn't be getting him at RB60 just because I definitely anticipate if something were to happen to Alexander Madison, I'd expect a veteran to end up in Minnesota and potentially be the starter at that point. So while I expect Chandler to see some playing time throughout the season, it's not enough for you to want to play him in fantasy. And if something happens to Madison, I definitely expect at least one veteran to be there. And from there, it's just how much playing time does the veteran get versus Chandler. So um, because of that, like we saw the situation in Baltimore when uh, multiple players got hurt. We saw Denver add running backs throughout the season last season. And like when I do my running back uh, handcuff tiers, I have that bottom tier where it's, yeah, this guy is penciled in as the backup, but I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in someone else. And I feel like that list is going to be getting larger and larger just with the number of um, decent running backs that are available in free agency right now. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, the profile isn't necessarily strong enough to be confident about him stepping into that RB1 role if something were to happen to Madison. I, I will say there is a player, it's not like a guarantee that, you know, Ty Chandler is the RB2 as well heading into the season. There was somebody, um, Dwayne McBride is somebody that's a personal favorite of mine, at least since around draft time. He doesn't necessarily, you know, have much of a, like a receiving profile or anything like that, but the rushing production and you look at the stable metrics for him coming out of UA, UAB are definitely intriguing at least as somebody that if the you know the running back market does dry up or they don't sign somebody or he can beat out Ty Chandler he could be of interest in deeper leagues this is a guy that had a 97.5 career rushing grade uh, in college, which was tied for first in this class with Bijan Robinson. Uh, he had 4.9 yards after contact per attempt, which was first in the class, 0.26 missed tackles force per attempt, which was third in the class, and a 19.6% explosive run rate, which is fourth in the class. So some good numbers there. The problem obviously being that he was a seventh round pick, which apparently had more to do with some off-field concerns for him. So, um, you know, there, there's potential that he could earn his way up the depth chart, at least ahead of Ty Chandler. You know, you look at Chandler, fifth round sophomore with just six NFL carries to his name isn't exactly bulletproof in comparison to that seventh round draft capital either. So if you want to take a shot in those deeper leagues to get a piece of this backfield, um, I'm, I'm more than happy spending maybe a late round pick in those types of leagues on McBride right now and, and hoping he could show something in camp. But like you said, it, it's you know not an ideal situation. They're more than likely the potential is that they would bring somebody else in should something happen to Madison, but just someone to keep in mind there. Yeah. And then if we go to the flip side of that, um, looking at ADP followers, of course, Dalvin Cook falls for no longer being the lead back in Minnesota, fell 11 picks, uh, was RB21 before, now is RB25. Um, I personally don't think that's low enough for him. I moved him outside of my top 30 running backs just because we don't know how good of a situation he'll end up being in. Um, one of those situations that a lot of us kind of expect him to potentially be in is going to the Miami Dolphins. If you look at a bunch of the other running back fallers over the past month, a lot of them are from Miami. Jeff Wilson leads the list down 19 picks. Uh, Raheem Mostert down 17. Uh, Devin Achain uh, down nine picks. So that's three of the top six fallers along with Cook making four of the top six. So a lot of us have kind of expected him to end up in Miami. Um, there was just a report uh, on the 28th from uh, Barry Jackson saying that Cook has been offered a contract with the Dolphins, um, hasn't accepted it to this point. And it sort of feels like if he wanted to go to the Dolphins or if the Dolphins were giving him an offer that Cook was happy with, he would have accepted it by now. So while we kind of expect him to maybe go to Miami, there's also a chance that that doesn't work out. Yeah, for sure. And then you look at, you know, how the market has kind of reacted to to the the Dalvin Cook rumors to Miami. It's pushed these guys down the board. I know, you know, Devon A. Chain, the the third round rookie, has kind of been a, a favorite for for people this offseason uh, amongst that backfield. And I, I mean, I get it. You know, this is he's an explosive runner, really good career rushing grade as well, high four three speed, uh, strong receiving profile as well. You know, the problem with him, he was he was under 190 pounds, so there's concerns about him being a potential workhorse back. Um, potentially holding back. So you add in the Dalvin Cook rumors there, it makes sense that uh, somebody like that would fall a little bit. But 
any interest in these guys at all now that their price is kind of falling a little bit and the potential that, you know, Dalvin Cook may, like you said, sign somewhere else, um, like maybe the New York Jets, another rumored team. Um, Does anybody in Miami, you know, kind of catch your eye at where they're going right now for, so maybe A-Chain specifically at RB39, he has that kind of breakaway speed and and maybe a potential good best ball um, target. Yeah, like A Chain, I think just being the rookie that has that high potential. Um, yeah, you mentioned the workload concerns, but it's someone worth taking a risk on. But I think both Mostert and Wilson at their ADP are probably fine at this point. Um, going back and especially in best ball leagues. But Miami last year was kind of a bit of a headache to predict what they would do since um at first it seemed like Chase Edmonds would be the guy, then Mostert started seeing a lot of playing time, started um, having a role in the past game, unlike what he's ever seen before. Then once Wilson gets there, he starts being more of the guy. And then Mostert start, started to take things back over later in the season. So it was kind of up and down for everyone. So they did have some good games between them, both multiple top 10 finishes. So um, there's definitely a chance that, especially if Cook doesn't show up, that uh, Mostert or Wilson could have a couple of big games throughout the season. It's just really hard to know when it would happen. So definitely guys, I'm probably more interested in, in best ball than I would be in redraft. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. And, uh, and like we said, the other rumor team for cook, it's another one of those AFC East teams, the New York jets. I mean, in this case, assuming Brees Hall is healthy, would cook be considered a clear cut RB one in that situation? I have a hard time, Seeing it, maybe um, maybe we'll see a situation that's closer to to an even split in that case, or given how great Brees Hall was last year, is Cook just a straight-up backup in New York um, behind Brees Hall? What do you think if he if he potentially lands in New York? Um, I think a lot of it would have to do with the injury to Brees Hall and how well he's recovering to it. I know um, earlier this week, Tyler Conklin on Good Morning Football was saying there's definitely enough room for it all of the running backs there and adding cook, but cook and Conklin are former teammates in Minnesota. So it's not too surprising that he'd be advocating for his former teammate. So um, I think it would be a situation where if he signs, then I'd probably be more concerned about hall because I'd be concerned about his injury and how quickly they, he can recover and that kind of stuff. But I think this might be a case where it's more cook wants to play for the jets than the jets necessarily wanting cook since i think he probably would have been there by now again if that was the case so at this point i wouldn't be surprised if it's just wait for an injury to happen and then a team is would be a lot more desperate to add cook mm-hmm. yeah i think that makes sense and i think again if it's if it's the jets it again makes sense why his Devin cook's adp would fall and probably would have to do more with with Brees hall's potential recovery um they they may not feel as confident in him being ready to to carry that workload as as the rb1 there so that would be kind of an indicator there if we do see dalvin cook um sign with the jets but let's uh let's move on to another running back situation uh this one in cleveland and kick it off talking about one of the best running backs in the nfl nick chubb who already sits as rb5 in underdogs adp 
And according to Mary Kay Cabot of Cleveland.com, Chubb will be used more as a receiver out of the backfield, so his touches might evolve. Um, she also acknowledged that he's a big part of the offense and will still be a focus in the run game, of course. So uh, obviously with Kareem Hunt and, and even Dearness Johnson out of the picture, there's absolutely room for more work in the passing game for Chubb, um, who often ceded the majority of that work to Hunt these past four seasons. Uh, we know Chubb last year played all 17 games, but he ranked 35th in targets at the running back running back position last season which is 33 so uh, Chubb also had two RB1 PPR finishes in 2022 both times he had three or more receptions in those games uh, which only happened five times total this past season through those 17 games so obviously an increase in, in targets receptions especially in PPR leagues is only going to boost his potential for more of those weekly top five finishes on top of his high-end rushing ability um, Nate this seeming confirmation that Chubb is going to be utilized more in the passing game does that move him up your ranks at all or is this something that we already kind of assumed and built into his projections already this this offseason because at RB5 according to ADP it might be tough to find the room to move him even higher than that yeah I think he's starting to move up a little bit for me especially potentially over some of the wide receivers just because like any way you look at it in the run game, he's been arguably the best running back over the past decade. Um, number one in a ton of stats in that time, uh, rushing yards per game, avoided tackles per game, uh, yards per attempt, fantasy points per attempt in the run game, uh, runs above 30 yards, 20 yards, whatever threshold you want to set it at. That's decently high. Chubb's been the best at getting those big carries. It's been the receiving game that's been holding him back in fantasy throughout his career. Um, and it's especially been true under Kevin Stefanski. Um, he's averaged one receiving touchdown per season, uh, less than 300 yards every year of his career. And I was trying to see if it's just he's a not great receiver or if they aren't targeting him enough. And he has the low, lowest target share among running backs with at least 500 targets over the past three years at 12.7%. So I think a lot of it has more to do with the offense just not targeting him in the past game even when he is on the field. So while we expect him to see more snaps in the past game, I think we will hopefully see more targets. If you've been on Twitter at all today on Thursday, um, you've been seeing discussions about the value of targets versus carries for running backs and how much better targets are for fantasy purposes, especially in PPR leagues. So even if he sees fewer carries and sees more targets, that's excellent for him. Um, in terms of his fantasy value. And I think the big thing that is probably also pushing his ADP is that some of the other running backs that you're picking in the same area, guys like Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, both of them, there's talks of them holding out, maybe not playing the start of the season since both players are on the franchise tag, want longer-term contracts, and it's looking less and less likely that they will get long-term contracts. So the potential of those players missing games just push it, pushes Chubb even up higher than where he is now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, when I was looking into it a little bit, one interesting thing that did, did kind of stand out, just looking at the Brown splits last season, like with and without Deshaun Watson, um, they ranked 11th in the NFL in positive EPA per play rates without Deshaun Watson. Uh, and in that span, Nick Chubb ranked as the PPR RB4. But then with Watson in the lineup, and, and we know he was bad last year and kind of shaking off significant rust, but the team did drop 11 spots to 22nd in the NFL in positive EPA per play rate. Um, and Nick Chubb dropped to RB15. And, and that's, that's 
that's including including his overall RB1 finish in week 18. Um, if you do take that out, because not many leagues are playing in week 18, then he was RB27 over that span. So not to cast like a ton of doubt or anything on Nick Chubb, because I do still really like him this year. Um, but it's also because I expect this Browns offense and Watson specifically to improve um, from what they were last year with, with him at quarterback. But if they don't then it could end up potentially bring bringing down chubb a little bit um which we did see last year maybe not as low as that stretch last season because kareem hunt was also in the lineup then but he also did have a lower snap rate with watson at quarterback as well kareem hunt that was so i, I do feel like with the you know the rb5 adp I, I think that makes sense for nick chubb i think that's that's about right for him i think most people were in on this potential already, but perhaps someone that the market is just um, starting to come around to now is Nick Chubb's teammate in the backfield, a player who, much like previously mentioned Ty Chandler, also a sophomore fifth round pick with very limited NFL experience, and that's Jerome Ford. So um, Nick Chubb's backup, Jerome Ford, being the second biggest riser at running back. He's up 19 picks going from RB55 to RB50, uh, and most of that change did happen earlier this month. He's, he's kind of stabilized in the past week or so uh, for ADP purposes. And then, you know, a, a quote from running back coach Stump Mitchell said he's capable of doing anything and everything, specifically mentioned his pass protection, which he didn't really do in college um, and has apparently taken big steps there. So, Another guy, you know, maybe didn't have the the receiving profile in college or anything like that. He he, he feels more like a Nick Chubb than a Kareem Hunt if we're going to compare the the two. Um, but any interest in in Jerome Ford as a as a backup to to Nick Chubb in Cleveland? Feel pretty similarly about it. Where I think if something were to happen to Chubb, I would expect the Browns to sign a veteran running back. And Ford's someone that it's just hard to know too much about him. I was looking back at our draft guide on what we were saying about him and he was basically a project running back which is exactly what it sounded and like it's a lot of times if a rookie doesn't see many snaps in their rookie season that's probably not a great sign but it's kind of hard to for me to get mad at him for what he did last year because they had Nick Chubb they had Kareem Hunt uh Dearness Johnson was third on the depth chart uh, he did some great things two years ago and now he's also left in free agency so Ford isn't just moving up one spot, but moving up two spots on the depth chart. So he is basically just a big unknown. But again, they could sign a veteran running back sometime during training camp as well to compete for that number two spot. So um, he's someone that I'm probably not too high on drafting him, especially at his ADP. But there's certainly a chance that he could do something this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he he's interesting in the sense that I guess like maybe there's like a 30 percent carry rate for him amongst the running backs there with obviously Nick Chubb handling the, the large majority of the load there. But um, yeah, like you said, if there was something that happened to Chubb, there's, there's guys like Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott that are, they're still out there could potentially come in as well. So it's hard to get too excited about Jerome Ford, but you know, again, deeper leagues or a potential handcuff um, for now, he, he, he RB 50, I guess it is makes sense for where he's going. Um, so let's head to Los Angeles, where there was some news last week of the team bringing back Sony Michelle, uh, who was with the team in 2021, where he carried the ball over 200 times. He led the team in carries by to the end by the end of the year. Wasn't necessarily a great fantasy asset over there um, that that season. He had a few weeks down the stretch where 
he replaced Daryl Henderson, but that, that was about it. Last year, he spent most of the season with the Chargers. He was released in season there. He was released by the Dolphins even prior to that during the preseason. Uh, we saw his rushing grade reach a career low, 64.6 last year, uh, and his yards per carry also career low, 2.9. So pretty much across the board, he kind of fell off. Um, but with that being said, probably not in love with Michelle this year and drafting him all that much, but Nate, any concern for Cam Akers potential breakout season here in 2023? I'm not too concerned about Michelle or taking anything away from Akers. Akers um, has been one of the best big play running backs, uh, averaging uh, a 30 yard run on 0.172% of games. So that's seventh best for running backs over the past year. So um, he was making some big plays, um, was top 10 and rushing fantasy points per start last season. Since he wasn't starting all that much, he had that um, week one where he basically was barely on the field and then slowly got back on the field, then got injured, then got back and recovered. Um, he had three 100-yard games, but they were week 16, 17, 18. So he ended the season very well. It was just everything that came before that. But even if he's able to do great things in the run game, he hasn't been much of a receiver throughout his career. Um, so I think that kind of caps Akers' upsize. I think with the situation with the Rams, it's probably more a problem for the backup running backs. Uh, we saw Zach Evans was the fifth biggest ADP faller, fell 10 spots to from RB62 to RB72, which is basically the point where you're not getting drafted anymore in best ball. So I think the big thing for me is F Akers gets injured. I'd be a lot more confident in Sony Michelle being the guy with the Rams compared to uh, some other situations where if a starting running back got injured, um, you only have to go back to the playoffs in 2021, which was like 18 months ago, where Michelle took... 89 snaps in the playoffs compared to 159 by acres. So um, it wasn't all that long ago that he was having a significant role in this Rams offense. So I think the Rams offense trust him, even if some of the other teams that he tried to go to in the past year did not trust him as much. So I think if something were to happen to acres, then Michelle would be someone that would potentially be a fantasy starter in that situation. So I'm probably more happy to pick him as a handcuff, but this didn't really impact acres in my rankings and it really wasn't impacting his ADP at all either. So uh, I don't think too many people are thinking that this is too big a bad news for acres. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm not concerned about it. I, I really like cam makers this season. I, I know a lot of people are, you know, kind of off of cam makers. They're, they're worried about, you know, concerns of injury and things like that. But um, I do think it could be a really good year for him. He, he did look a lot better down the stretch, which was encouraging because when he came back from that Achilles injury, he didn't look as good. So he does look at least to be fully healthy now, which is a positive thing. And Sony Michelle, like you said, he has that familiarity there in Los Angeles and Sean McVay's offense. So he could potentially kind of step in if there is something that happens with acres and, you know, this Rams team, I, I don't think we're expecting them to be a playoff contender. Um, even though they did just win the Super Bowl two years ago, uh, it, they, they've kind of, you know, sent off a lot of their, key assets especially on defense that is but I'd be surprised if they were pushing for a playoff spot so them signing somebody like an Ezekiel Elliott or a Leonard Fournette that would step in um, in some of these other situations like we had mentioned earlier probably doesn't make a lot of sense for the Rams so Sony Michelle could be um, the guy to kind of step in as as the next man up if something were to happen uh, to Cam Akers which which could be interesting so 
before we keep going, we do have another sponsor we'd like to shout out, and that is DraftKings. The player you benched in fantasy football just went off. With Best Ball on DraftKings, you get the best of your team all season long. This year, Best Ball on DraftKings is bigger and better than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. Join DraftKings' biggest Best Ball contest today and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Enter DraftKings' Best Ball Millionaire Contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers, no ads, drops, or trades. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament and then get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars. That's code PFF only on DraftKings. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued as 10 DraftKings dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. All right. Uh, we got some new news here as this one just happened on Wednesday of this week. But Devontae Parker and the New England Patriots have agreed to terms on a three-year deal worth up to $33 million with $14 million in guarantees and per-game roster bonuses, uh, according to NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. Uh, Parker was headed into the final season of his current deal, which would have seen him earn a $5.7 million base salary. Uh, now, per Rappaport, he's on the books for a new three-year contract with two-year extension. Uh, this could ensure Devontae Parker as a starter, potentially clear some cap space. Patriots potentially also a favorite for DeAndre Hopkins. Um, we know that they lost Jacoby Myers and Nelson Aguilar in free agency. They brought in Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, there was Kendrick uh, Bourne and Tyquan Thornton who could potentially have seen significant roles if something, uh, if if Hopkins isn't signed, but could also be a lot of two tight end sets with, with Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki. This was something we we talked about last week, discussing discussing potential scheme changes, um, which if you haven't listened to that, definitely go back and check it out. But back to Thornton, he had been the bit third biggest riser uh, for the wide receivers, up 22 spots going from wide receiver 81 to 71. Nate, would you be surprised at all with Tyquan Thornton um, potentially falling after this news now that they've brought in uh, Devontae Parker or extended Devontae Parker? that is yeah i wouldn't be surprised if we see thornton fall and maybe parker rise a little bit just since i know some people were kind of expecting thornton to become a starter and even if they add hopkins potentially take parker's place parker could have been seen as a cap casualty just because he didn't have any guarantees left at this point i think even though it's a three-year contract it's probably going to be set up in a way that this assures parker that starting job this year but gives them some flexibility in the future but um, Thornton, someone who uh, only had one game over 40 yards last year, um, eight games where he had double-digit routes, but one or fewer receptions. So he really didn't do much in his rookie season. Um, still will be turning 23 in a little over a month. So there's definitely plenty of time for him to develop in his career. But I think this probably gives Parker a chance to see his ADP rise while I expect Thornton's to fall back down a little bit. Um, Parker, I think, is a good example of someone who I'd probably be more comfortable with in best ball leagues than I would in redraft leagues. Um, he's been someone that uh, 
throughout his career hasn't been great at separation, but great at getting a bunch of contested catches since he doesn't have that separation. Uh, second most contested catches over the past four seasons. Um, last year had the highest average depth of target for any wide receiver with at least 40 routes. So he's been kind of a big play player for the Patriots. Uh, one game with 156 yards, uh, four games where he was between 60 and 80 yards, and then another four games where he played at least 75% of the snaps, but only gained 25 yards or less. So um, he had those big games. He had some quiet games. So that's kind of the best situation for a best ball player at the end of the draft. But in redraft, it makes it really hard to predict when he'll have those big games. And he's definitely not a high volume player at this point in his career where he's being used as more of a deep threat in the offense. So I wouldn't expect him to get to a point this season where he is consistently being a fantasy starter. So he's someone where I expect his stats to be decent, but where I would rank him as even lower and redraft uh, the opposite in best ball. So um, Parker, probably someone that I'm avoiding as well as Thornton in redraft leagues, but best ball is the different story. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It, it's the, the Patriots, the headache of trying to figure out who to start each week amongst that wide receiver group is probably going to be consistent unless we start to see something, um, you know, emerge like a trend emerge regularly early in the year. I could see these guys potentially being like waiver targets or something like that. But you're right in, in lineup leagues, it's harder to to kind of draft these guys and, and you know, to to use them in, in trustworthy spots for your lineup. So. Yeah, I think best ball is makes a lot more sense for these guys. Tyke one Thornton, I, I get the you know the the excitement from him being a second round pick as well, but it's just it's going to be a little bit uh, up and down from basically based on what we've seen in recent years from them. I think Juju Smith Schuster um, probably going to be the most reliable option there, at least among the wide receivers. And then we talked about Mike Gusecki, who we kind of liked last year or last week, but um, we'll see what happens there as well. But uh, let's move on to the the Giants wide receiver situation. So kind of a uh, at least a bit of an interesting and ambiguous receiver room heading into training camp here. And one of the rooms probably worth keeping an eye on or ear on as this off season progresses to see if we can get a clearer picture of who might emerge because the, the first significant word at a giants camp so far comes from Dan Duggan of the athletic who reported on June 16th, that Paris Campbell uh, was the favorite target in OTAs taking that slot role, uh, there was also mention of rookie Jalen Hyatt, uh, who was playing with the third team. And, and Doug had mentioned that Hyatt could have a role maybe as like a deep threat specialist as a rookie. But it looks like an uphill climb to unseat established veterans for a more substantial role early in the season. Uh, he also did report that Sterling Shepard is right on schedule from his ACL injury to be ready for the start of the season. But no mention of that on Wandale Robinson, who's starting to feel like a pup candidate uh, to start the year. But basically, the reports um, from Dan Duggan of The Athletic have led to a Paris Campbell rise in ADP. So he is up 34 spots going from wide receiver 92 to wide receiver 78. Uh, Jalen Hyatt actually was one of the biggest fallers or was the biggest faller overall. He's down 40 spots from wide receiver 65 to wide receiver 79. And then Wandale Robinson, the third biggest faller at wide receiver, down 21 spots, going from wide receiver 75 to wide receiver 82. Uh, and most of that, again, coming from Duggan's article. Nate, 
is there someone from this Giants receiving core outside of Darren Waller that you're drafting maybe more than others now that they're all kind of essentially in the same range as one another? Or or is this a group that you're avoiding altogether? Um, it's kind of easy to avoid them just because they have eight different players that could potentially see a significant role in the offense. We're waiting for when Shepard and Robinson will come back. Um, they also added Jeff Smith and Jamison Crowder uh, for a cheap contract, so that either of them could have a role. But Isaiah Hodgins is probably the guy on the outside who I'm most uh, confident will have a starting role in the offense. So uh, fine taking a late-round shot on him, but I think Campbell, if he can establish himself as a slot receiver um, over Shepard when he's healthy and Robinson when he's healthy, um, that slot role is a very important one for fantasy purposes. Uh, going back to the Buffalo Bills days, uh, Cole Beasley had some excellent seasons as their slot receiver. And even last year, Richie James, once he kind of established himself as the clear slot guy, once Robinson was injured midseason, um, he was the top 24 fantasy receiver in five of the last seven weeks. Uh, the top five slot receivers in those seven weeks in terms of receptions, Chris Godwin, Keenan Allen, CeeDee Lamb. Richie James and Amon Ross St. Brown. So um, Campbell really hasn't impressed all that much in his four years in Indianapolis. Um, will be 26, and that's typically not the age where you see wide receivers break out. Typically, it's a little bit earlier than that than they start to break out. But uh, we also weren't expecting much out of Richie James last year, and he became a fantasy asset down down the stretch. So I could see this being a situation where Campbell has that kind of upside to be a fantasy starter if he can keep the slot role just simply because of the volume that giant slot receivers will get and slot receivers in the past have gotten in this offense. So I think Campbell is kind of the perfect late round draft pick from that perspective in that, yeah, there's a lot of paths where he might not do much this season, but there is also a clear path where he can be a consistent fantasy starter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and if they like him and they're, they're utilizing him, I mean, we saw, you know, what he, at least during his time at Ohio state, right. He was kind of used as this after the catch type receiver. And you look at Daniel Jones, who he had, I think the lowest a dot last year of, of quarterbacks, at least that had um, a certain amount of starts. So it was like a six and a half yard a dot. So he could be looking for him uh, underneath quite a bit. That it, and I, I would be feeling okay about him as a potential guy to emerge as, as kind of a sleeper or a late round flyer um, and potentially a best ball target as well. Um, but yeah, it does make me a little bit more concerned about like a guy like a Jalen Hyatt, for example, who I know people were excited about coming out of the draft, but you know, being that, deep play specialist it wasn't a big part of of the Giants game last season um so we'll see how much that that actually changes this year if at all but um yeah it's good points I think Paris Campbell does become slightly more interesting here if he is getting uh that that work in in camp and and the volume alone could potentially turn into something if he can you know be that after the catch threat that he was when he was drafted so um all right let's get let's get one more ad in here this one is from our friends at manscaped uh if you haven't heard already it's smooth sack summer when you're playing in the sun make sure you're scaped from pubes to bum that's right this is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with manscaped the leaders in below the waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants 
Pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into the smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code PFF. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. They have built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor and new multifunction on off switch, can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Beach, lake, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Um, Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and Shed Travel Bag. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's smooth sack summer boys. Get on board or get left behind. All right, let's go and turn our attention to the Arizona Cardinals and the fallout of the DeAndre Hopkins release. The Cardinals offense has just continued to sink this offseason with Kyler Murray unlikely to be ready for the start of the season. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins cut. A.J. Green retired. Robbie Anderson left for Miami in free agency. We now have Rondell Moore as the second biggest ADP riser at wide receiver going up 27 spots from wide receiver 72 to wide receiver 60, which has largely coincided with DeAndre Hopkins getting released. Not really a surprise that the remaining members of the Cardinals offense would see their stock increase, but with this offense unlikely to be great in 2023, is it enough to kind of pique your interest in, in a Rondell Moore as a late round flyer type, or maybe a rookie Michael Wilson, or, or is it Hollywood Brown or bust for you in Arizona this season, Nate? Uh, Michael Wilson, at least for me, has been kind of emerging as a late sleeper that I definitely consider just with the top receivers that Arizona has all um, fairly short for wide receivers all five nine or shorter where Wilson's the exception to that and he's been getting a bit of praise recently uh, coach Gannon said on Thursday that um, Michael has come in as a rookie we said hey man this is what we're expecting from you here's a role and he's taken to it um, he's doing a really good job, especially for a rookie. So um, that after OTAs, I think is a promising sign. And with how um, few wide receivers that Arizona has, I think he definitely has a chance to be a starter on the outside this year. Um, the bottom line that we have for him in our draft guide, a uh, plug and play route runner who can fill any role asked of him at the next level. So I definitely think he can be a starter and have a significant role in Arizona's offense. Um, I think with Marquise Brown, looking at his stats over the past couple of seasons, he's been incredibly consistent in terms of PFF grade. He's consistently been around 69 to 71. So I don't see him getting all that much better than what we've seen so far. And a lot of his stats that have looked good, a lot of them have been pretty volume based. Um, he's been running more routes than anyone whenever he's been healthy. Uh, 9.6 targets per game over the past two seasons, which is top 10. But I think a lot of that's just simply how many plays Arizona was running on offense. So 
I could see that potentially going down. Um, a lot of it's kind of unknown. I think Arizona's probably the one offense that we might know the least about what their plans are doing in general with the offense, with how inexperienced their offensive coordinator is. So I think that'll definitely be interesting. And then Rondale Moore, I think he definitely deserves to have that ADP rise. I think wide receiver 60 is probably a fine spot for him. Um, he's been one of the better receivers at avoiding tackles after the catch, even though he hasn't been giving, getting a ton of opportunities. So I think as long as he's on the field, I think he should see a decent number of targets, which should lead to a good amount of volume for him. I think probably the biggest concern that I've had for more is uh, Greg Dortch, who also played slot receiver last year. I uh, looked fairly good in that situation. There were times where more had to play on the outside with Dortch in the slot, but this is a different coaching staff. And there was an article uh, this past week on the Arizona Cardinals website, kind of breaking down the positions and at wide receiver, um, there were four locks for the team, Brown, Moore, Wilson, and then, uh, Zach Pascal, who's a free agent wide receiver from Philadelphia this past year, who's also on the taller side. So I could see him having a role where Dorsch was leading the list of receivers that were like, they have more to prove. So considering that had him fifth on the depth chart, basically, um, I'm a little bit more confident of more being the guy in the slot unless they decide to put Brown in the slot. So um, I think that's probably the biggest concern, but I think at wide receiver 60, you can live with uh, that risk of them maybe not seeing as much playing time, but I think he has the talent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a low cost for sure. Definitely worth taking a shot on at that point. And um, yeah, I, I, I definitely don't mind uh, Michael Wilson. He's been somebody that I've picked up in rookie drafts quite a bit as well. If for, you know, for dynasty purposes, if he could already get the volume in year one, that could be nice for him um, long-term as well. And, and, you know, the other thing coming out of Arizona was recent speculation that Zach Ertz uh, could be cut uh, th this off season at some point as well. So um, not doing a ton for uh, helping Clayton tune uh, as far as wep receiving weapons go, or at least maybe potentially Clayton tune. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that another time, but uh, Trey McBride already has a, a kind of higher ADP than Zach Ertz to may not even be healthy to start the year with that, that week 10 ACL tear as well. But you know, at 20 tight end 27 right now, I, I'd imagine we see that potentially uh, increase even more if Ertz is released, that is for Trey McBride. So, you know, McBride finished as a top 24 tight end in, in five of the seven weeks where, where he was tight end one for the Cardinals last season. Wasn't exactly like an elite target earner at the position, even when Ertz went down. I think he was fifth on the team uh, in target rate at 15.4%. Uh, so might not be a high end tight end two in that offense for fantasy, but could be reliable in the way that Ertz was for those looking for kind of like that safe plug and play option at the position. Um, any interest in Trey McBride there or uh, thoughts on Zach Ertz? Um, a little bit on McBride. Uh, it's another situation where Arizona was just passing so much that Ertz was uh, basically the leader in uh, routes run per game while he was healthy last season. So um, I think I, would expect those routes to go down a little bit for Arizona tight ends. And uh, McBride was someone last year where he didn't really do much initially, uh, slowly but surely got better as the season went on. So it's just how much of a leap he can make in year two. So um, I'm ideally in a spot where I don't need to worry too much about a backup tight end since ideally I'm drafting one of those top eight players and then don't have to worry about a backup. But 
FIM stuck looking for a late round sleeper. I think he's a fine player to consider in that spot. Yeah, like that. Um, all right, let's uh, let's close things out in San Francisco, where the quarterback situation could potentially be clearing up uh, per NFL Network's Tom Pelissero on Monday, June 26th. The 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy uh, was headed to, to Jacksonville to throw for the next couple of weeks with quarterback coach Will Hewlett and ortho specialist Tom Gormley. So this could be another sign that Purdy is progressing through his rehab following the elbow surgery, and he does remain on track to be ready for the 2023 season. You also got uh, Sports Illustrated's uh, Albert Breer recently telling Colin Coward that I think if Brock Purdy were unable to take the first snap of training camp, which is a possibility, he's on track to play week one, but they're still building the strength in his arm back up. I think Sam Darnold might take the first snap of training camp. Now it it doesn't mean Trey Lance can't come back and work his way forward, but I think they feel like they've already given this guy a lot of chances. So interesting there, this has led obviously to Brock Purdy, who has been by far the highest riser at quarterback up 19 picks going from QB 27 to QB 25 this month. Trey Lance has been the biggest faller down 25 picks going from QB 25 to QB 30. Uh, This has been the case every week. So it's either Purdy has been the biggest riser or Lance the biggest faller uh, or both. So pretty wild situation when you consider the investment in Lance uh, in the 2021 draft. But, you know, as we get closer to the season, it does seem more likely that Purdy could be ready for week one, which is really bad news for Trey Lance. It just does not seem to be working out in San Francisco after trading three first round picks for the chance to draft him. He could now potentially be riding the pine behind even Sam Darnold. If Purdy can't go week one, we'll see what happens in training camp, but I mean, the train is quickly reaching the end of the line, it feels like, already for Lance. And I think I might just be hopping off very soon as well. Maybe, you know, still a decent last round flyer in best ball just because of that rushing upside. But I'm not even sure if it's worth it at this point. If he's going to be QB3 on the depth chart, maybe they could trade him. Who knows? But after being optimistic about him not that long ago in our quarterbacks rankings episode, uh, that optimism is quickly turning into pessimism for me with with the early word out of camp. Uh, how about you? How are you feeling about Trey Lance and the 49ers situation? Yeah, I think it's mostly with Purdy. Um, he's been moving up a little bit. And with this optimistic news, I think he should probably continue to be raising up rising up people's rankings um, finished at quarterback 17, 8, 15, 13, 11, and five in his starts last year. So those were all fairly consistently good. No real bad games in there and a couple fairly good ones. Uh, second in passing touchdowns per start, third best in scramble touchdowns per start and a uh, top five in fantasy points on dropbacks and attempts. So uh, was very good in terms of fantasy purposes when he had the opportunities. Um, They have so much talent in that offense that you kind of expect anyone to be there to be a fantasy starter. It was just um, kind of the not many big plays in the past game that led to uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and other quarterbacks not being as high, but uh, with Purdy, he stood out 3.6 passes above 20 yards per start, which was third most for quarterbacks last year. So I think with, Purdy, they can make more big plays and make that uh, 49ers quarterback more fantasy relevant. And then uh, looking at Lance, who's been on the downfall, I probably am not drafting him. I'm still probably holding on to him in Dynasty if I have him unless someone wants to take him off my hands. 
Um, the second that he is back into a starting lineup, I'll be back in on him since he had, I believe it was 15 carries in one of his few starts. And there are very few quarterbacks who will ever get close to 15 carries in a game. And we know how much uh, rushing upside helps in fantasy football. We saw Taysom Hill uh, when he was a starting quarterback in the NFL consistently be a fantasy starter uh, despite his uh, setbacks in the passing game. So I think any quarterback who can rush that much is definitely a fantasy asset, but he's not going to see the field then I'm not going to be drafting him in redraft. Uh, probably not going to be going out of my way to draft him in Dynasty. But the second that he's in the starting lineup, he'll be at the top or near the top of any waiver wire article I write. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It, it's so hard to to trust him at this point now with with all these reports coming out of San Francisco that they don't even want to use him as a starter. It's it, you know the writing is kind of on the wall there. I, I don't think he'll be long for that team. It seems like maybe he does get traded. Um, you know, it, maybe things don't work out with with another former Niners quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo in Las Vegas. There were concerns with his, you know, physical and stuff like that. Maybe Trey Lance could potentially get traded to the to the Raiders. I, I don't know what he would 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 fetch in a trade for San Francisco. That could probably be the biggest barrier. But um, yeah, that's the thing. If he's starting, we, we love the upside, but otherwise it's not really uh, seemingly worth it to, to even target him um, on this on the 49ers at this point. So that's our our look at some of the kind of biggest risers and fallers of the past month or so and some of the the relevant nfl news as well so i hope you guys all took uh some some actionable information out of that and and hopefully as we get closer to draft season we'll continue to do that and get you guys ready uh for the 2023 nfl fantasy season very excited as we get closer here um but let's wrap things up as we have the past couple weeks with another one of our five round drafts so uh we started with the strongest superheroes we we then followed that up last week with an all-time nba starting five Nathan, unfortunately, you are so far 0-2. We may have to with the things may change here because we're we're moving to another random topic. We're going with the best animated movies of all time. So this is this is tough. I I, I thought this was a really tough topic. Um, because man, there's there's a ton, especially you look at just like Disney and Pixar and things like that. There's there's a lot of options to choose from. Um as somebody with kids, I, I've watched way too many of those Disney and Pixar movies. So I, I had a hard time actually, you know, saying that I like the movies anymore because they've been ruined for me uh, watching them so many times. But uh, since I won last week, the the NBA team, uh, it was a lot closer than than the superhero one. So that that was uh, and we got a lot more votes. So um, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have won. It was debatable. I think I, I thought I wasn't going to win that. But uh, nonetheless, I got the win. And Nate, now you get the first pick again uh, in our draft here. Yeah, after picking Michael Jordan last time, I should have been <laughs> able to draft some Looney Tunes after that and still yeah. ended up winning. But I guess that didn't happen. Uh, with the animated movies, we do our research with this like we do with the rest of the podcast. And while I was doing my research, there really didn't seem to be a consensus number one. Um, eventually found some kind of consensus. But I think with the first pick, I will keep it fairly safe and go with The Lion King as my first pick. Um, a classic at this point, um, going with the animated version of it, not the more CGI version of it, but uh, right. just a classic movie that I think is pretty widely loved and I think a pretty good choice for the best Disney movie, at least of the past 30, 40 years. 
Yeah, no, it's a good choice for sure. Um, that was that was one of my potential ones. Again, one that we've we've watched a few times here, so I, I had a hard time falling in love with it. Uh, but I'm gonna go with uh, Into the Spider Verse. Um, this this counts as an animated movie, right? It's purely animated. Yep. Um, yeah, Miles Morales, Spider Man. Um, going away from the Disney a little bit here. Um, these were the kind of movies that that actually I I like to watch as well. So um, Into the Spider Verse. Into the Spider-Verse for my money, a near perfect movie. So I will go with that for, for my first pick. Fair. I had that up high, but the thing for me is I didn't know if I wanted it into the Spider-Verse higher or across the Spider-Verse higher. Um, I, definitely a lot of people loved across the Spider-Verse too. So I'm going to go with that as my second <laughs> pick since I knew if I went with one of those first, you would probably get the other one. So I would just <laughs> let you decide which one you like better. And I will get the other one and be perfectly happy to get across the Spider-Verse as my second pick. Nice. I, I, I see you're just kind of rubbing it in my face that I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, I was supposed to go yesterday, actually, funny enough, Ooh. and I just it didn't work out. So um, I, I would have felt bad choosing it when not actually having seen it i would have had to lie or yeah. something but um <laughs> uh, but i might go tonight that that's the plan so i'm um, very excited uh so great pick obviously i'm gonna assume that the movie is great as well um okay so for my second pick you know what i think i'll go with shrek um the the, the first shrek i know there's like four or five of them or something like that now but i i think the the original shrek still hit still stands up we, we've watched that a couple times not a ton but it's it's actually still pretty funny um eddie murphy's really great in it mike myers um so shrek number two for me i did have shrek on my list of one that i would consider later i agree that's a great movie uh some of the sequels i don't think hold up quite as well but right. definitely remember enjoying shrek but uh, with my third pick, I will go with Toy Story, nice. uh, going with the classic Pixar there. Um, the, a lot of the Toy Story movies were very good. We could potentially pick more of them as this draft goes on. But I think uh, the first one just stands out with how unique it was. And uh remember seeing it in theaters the first time and enjoying it. So um, going and doing as much research as I could for this Toy Story was fairly consistently one of the top couple animated movies where I, where I was looking. So happy to get Toy Story in my in the third round. Nice. Yeah, that that's a great pick. That That's kind of like the original too. like as far as movies that kicked off that kind of like computer generated um, look. Yep. Yeah, so that's a good one. Yeah, my son loves Toy Story. So that was on my list as well. But um, okay, so next one for me. What do I got? I got three left. Let's go with, I, I keep leaning towards superhero stuff. So I'm, I'm going to go uh, the Lego Batman movie um, with Will Arnett as, as Batman and uh, Zach Galifianakis as the Joker, Michael Sarah as Robin. Um, some really good references in there for, for people that, that love the, the Batman lore and, and just ends up being like a really good and, and funny movie. So I, I'm going to go Lego Batman uh, for three. Okay. Um. I think with my next one, I will go with Up. Um, more recent movie than some of the other animated movies, but feels a little bit of a classic at this point as well. It was just a great story in itself, one that some of these movies watched younger in my life. This one was more middle of my life so far and at a time where I wasn't watching a ton of animated movies, but definitely enjoyed seeing it and think it stands the test of time now that it's been out for... 14 years at this point so i think the story itself stands out the animation is also great in this one but 
happy to have up with my fourth round pick. Yeah. It also stands out as like one of the most devastating opening scenes of mm-hmm. <laughs> of these the like, kids' movies of all time. It's just I, I, I think I've watched it once and like I was like, I, I can't watch this again just because of that opening scene. It's uh it's pretty it's pretty much a one of the biggest downers you could watch in. <laughs> It's very, it's very hard hitting, but uh, for anybody that's seen it, but yeah, up is a good choice. It was a good movie. Um, Okay. So I guess my next one, I I'll go with the Incredibles. Um, The, the, yeah, the first one, Um, this one was, this is our second incredible reference in, uh, in our draft already, because you had Mr. Incredible and your strongest superhero team. I mean, the first, yeah, the first Incredibles is, is still really good. I th- think that deserves to be a top five pick for sure. Okay. Last pick. I have a couple of options left of who I'm considering here. Um, one that I'd consider is Toy Story 3. I had them on my list in case you took Toy Story from me, but I don't think I want to use Toy Stories on my <laughs> list. So I think I'm going to go with the Lego movie as my fifth one. I had nice. the Lego movie and not the Batman one as my last option so um another just really enjoyable movie everything is awesome and i get everything is awesome (laughs) with my fifth pick it has a surprisingly good ending to the movie as well a touching ending if you haven't seen it so happy to have a fun crazy movie with a happy solid story ending and a more recent movie as well plus it has the lonely island so happy to have the lego (laughs) movie at the end Nice. Good choice. Yeah. It's hard to argue. Will Ferrell is great in, in, in so many things. So um, yeah, I did like that ending as well. Lego movie. That's a good pick. I, oh man. So what do I got? I got Spider-Verse Shrek, Lego Batman Incredibles. I'm going to, okay. I'll, I'll go with, with the South Park movie um, from like the nineties. I think it was as it bigger, longer and uncut. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, the, the musical numbers in this movie are just unreal. So, um, and obviously, you know, the blame Canada song, I, I, that holds a special place in my heart as a Canadian. So, um, it, it's, it's a great one. Uh, it, I, I love it. I, it still, again, holds up as one of the funniest, um, pieces of South park, uh, media that there is. So I'm, I'm going with South park to close out my, uh, my five round draft here. Yeah, with the air quality in the Midwest recently, Blame Canada has a new special meaning <laughs> these past couple of days here. It does. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> yeah, it's starting to it's starting to trend again, obviously. But um, mm. yeah, this is a good one. This, it's I think it's going to be close again. I I mean, yeah. so you went uh, Lion King uh, across the Spider Verse, the original Toy Story up, and the Lego Movie. I went with Into the Spider Verse, Shrek. The Lego Batman movie, The Incredibles, and South Park bigger, longer, and uncut. So, we'll throw out the poll again um, and and see how it goes. We'll see which ones people like. It's basically just the best collection of of yeah. animated movies, right? Which ones would you take with you hmm. uh, if you if you had to just pick five to watch over and over again? So, um, that'll do it. Uh, again, thank you to everyone for for listening. This was a lot of fun. Thanks to Nate, as always, for doing this with me. Uh, Season's getting closer. 
I'm excited to get more of these episodes out here shortly. Uh, also, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the PFF Fantasy YouTube channel. We would greatly appreciate the support there. Also, the PFF Fantasy Discord is open to anyone and everyone who wants to talk fantasy. Um, and I can see that thing really heating up as we get into the draft season and, and into the regular season as well. Uh, Nate, I, I know I'm off this week, but you are not. What do you have new up on PFF.com for the people? So this week I started getting back into writing, so I'll have at least five articles a week, probably more most weeks between now and the start of the season. This week it was mostly a bunch of ranking updates, updated best ball rankings, dynasty, dynasty rookie, superflex dynasty, superflex dynasty rookie. So those have been my five this week, but next week I will have update to my overall PPR top 300, uh, start getting into some position rankings where I will go in depth into each of the players within that position of why I have them where I do, and then start touching on sleepers at the end of the week. Nice. Awesome. That's, that's great. Good to see Nate's stuff getting filling up the website as well. Always good content there. Um, As for me, uh, like I said, I'm off this week, but I'll be continuing my breakout series. Once I get back next week, going with uh, wide receivers, tight ends and uh, defensive backs for IDP purposes um so that should be fun as well uh, again thank you all for for joining us we will be back next week covering our favorite wide receiver and tight end sleepers for the 2023 season that should be a lot of fun as well so until then peace out <laughs>